Our scripture reading this morning, uh, church family, is going to be Exodus 13, starting in verse 17, all the way through chapter 14, verse 31. Uh, It's page 65 in the Black Pew Bible you have in front of you, so here we go. Starting in verse 17 of chapter 13, verse 17 of chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people, led the people around by the way of the wilderness towards the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night." The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharioth, between Migdal and, and the sea, in front of Balzephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him. He took six hundred and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pihirioth in front of Balzephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. 
Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into them, or and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and in, of the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all of the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so that the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. There's an outline that I gave you when we first started. There's several different ways of outlining the, the book of Exodus, and this is one outline that I think is helpful. The first 12 chapters takes place in Egypt. And these, this outline is, of course, based on the setting of where these events took place. And we're in the second um, point there. We're on the way to Sinai. Now, last week we saw the white towel being thrown into the ring uh, in the battle between Pharaoh and the Almighty God. God has made Pharaoh cry uncle. I don't know if it's cry uncle or mercy. It's just depending on how you play that game. But he's given up and he's allowed God's people to finally leave the ten plagues. They came one right after the other as Pharaoh hardened his heart in resistance against God and then God hardening Pharaoh's heart to resist him so that with, with the purpose of God showing the world who he was. And so the Lord gave them so a few commands there to start a couple traditions and Blake mentioned several of those one's the Passover that remember that on the anniversary date of the Passover every year and also the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and then thirdly the consecration of the firstborn and so he's he's started he's, he's commanded the, the Israelites to start these traditions going to help them remember what God had done for the nation and we have one point today two that's going to come up on the screen the second point is actually an application point so there's two, two points. The first one, typically, if you're an expository preacher, Blake, what should happen is your, your point should come right from the text. And our first point does. Our second point is more of application, but I'll, I'll, I'll remind you of that in just a moment. The first point from our text today is in the Old Testament, God led his people by prophets and even theophanies. And think, someone asked me, I'm not going to tell you who, they're what, what, what is that word? Did you, is that a typo? And I'm like, no, Sarah, it's not a typo. <laughs> It's a new word for you. Um, I'll explain that in just a second. But we see in, in chapter 13, verse 17 through 22. Notice what God does. John did a great job reading the text. I wanted him to read the text because I couldn't pronounce those dead words. And he did a great job. I appreciate you, brother. Um, 
God didn't take them the short route when they're leaving Egypt. Now, Amy's going to put up a, a map here I think will be helpful. This is the best map I could find. You'll see the, the, uh, the circle there, the green circle. That's Goshen. That's where the Israelites, that's where they lived. And then where they were released, the shortest route would have taken that green route right up the coast, right up into the promised land, see the land of Canaan. God didn't take them the short route. They didn't take the shortcut. In, in fact, they had to take the long cut. Look, the yellow um, mark there is kind of like their, their path. He took them south, kind of the long way around. Instead of getting there in a few weeks to a month, it took them, we know, 40 years. Not because of uh, the distance, but because of their disobedience. So why did, why did God insist on them taking the long cut instead of the short cut? Well, verse 17 tells us, because the Philistines would, would want to fight. And the Israelites weren't ready for battle. They weren't capable of defending themselves. And this would cause them to want to return to Egypt. And you might say, well, would, they, would the Hebrews really want to turn back to, to Egypt? I mean, they were enslaved. That doesn't make any sense. But if you recall, they did that several times in their history as they're wandering, trying to make it to the Promised Land. In Numbers chapter 14, after the, the 12 spies had went in and spied out the land, they came back and gave their report. This is what uh, happened. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? See, they're complaining to Moses. Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? See, they went into the promised land, and what was the report? Do you remember? The report coming back was, yeah, 10 of the, 10 of the spies said, there's giants there, and the walls are fortified. We, we, can't, we can't take this land. And so they discouraged the people, and this is the complaint to Moses. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Can you imagine? But the Lord knew their hearts, didn't he? The Lord knew the Israelites. They weren't strong enough. If they had to fight these mighty Philistines in battle, they would be scared and they would want to return to Egypt. But it's interesting, verse 18 tells us that they were equipped they went up equipped for battle. And at first glance, you know, well, it just says that, that the Philistines would scare them, but here it says they're equipped for battle. Well, which one was it? Were they ready for battle and, and ready to go to war, or were they not? But this, this phrase, equipped for battle, it does not mean that they were ready to fight. In fact, they were inept at fighting. But it means that they went out in formation. They went out in groups in formation like an army looking like a fighting nation, but they were no match for the Philistines. So this long way, God took them on the long way to the promised land, a long way home. It wasn't the easiest way. It wasn't the shortest way. It wasn't the most direct way, but it was the best way because it was God's way. See, God knew what the Israelites needed. They needed to learn more about God and his care for them because what's going to happen here real soon in chapter 14, they're going to face again the, the mighty Egyptian army with all the chariots and all the armor. They're going to face thirst. They're going to face hunger. They're going to face other enemies, just to name a few. But this way was the way God knew they needed. I mean, think about it. What we're about to see in, in this text, and we'll, we'll come back to chapter 14 next week and spend a little more time on the, the, the parting of the Red Sea and the escape through the Red Sea. But can you imagine the Israelites if they didn't have this Red Sea experience that they're about to have. I mean, this, this, this road less traveled, the long way around, it's a difficult road. But think about all that they learned as they traveled that 
hard, long road with the Lord right there with them. You can't imagine their experience and, and, and the, the nation of Israel when they get into the promised land without that Red Sea experience. See, they needed that. And we're much the same, aren't we? Sometimes we think the Lord's got us on a long, hard road. And there's much difficulty. But think back in your life and the difficulties that the Lord brought upon you or allowed to come into your life and how you are so much better for it now. Verse 21 says, There's a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night guiding them so they could travel day or night. And these pillars represent the presence of the Lord. And at this point in time, they were able to see this theophany, if you will. They were able to see the presence of the Lord and know that he was with them. It was a difficult way, but it was a, a good way because God was with them every step of the way. And the Hebrews, we know that they plundered the Egyptians. They took silver, gold, they took clothing, but they also took something else. In verse 18, tells us they, they took Joseph's bones. And that's kind of a thing. Well, this is kind of a side note in this story. But what it tells us is that Joseph knew that the covenant-keeping God who had providentially brought him and his family to Egypt would keep his promises to Abraham. And what was the promise to Abraham? What's the Abrahamic covenant? What is it? Paul, what is it? Tell me one, one, one promise he gave Abraham. You remember, Paul? Yeah. We have a lot of descendants. Like, yeah, a lot, like the stars in the sky. He's going to become a great nation. And that's already, we've already seen that, begin to see that take, come to fruition, right? They're in Pharaoh's land and they're multiplying like crazy. That's why Pharaoh enslaves them. What's, the other, what's another promise? Kids, God gave to Abraham. You remember? Sammy Reese, help me out here. I'm struggling. What's the other? What's the other promise? Aiden? Yeah, I'm, I've got you back. Those who are for you, I'm for, and those who are against you, guess what? I'm against. What's another promise God gave to Abraham? Hmm? Yeah, the land. I'm going to give you a land, the land of Canaan. I'm going to give you a place to reside and call your own. So verse 18 is quoting Genesis chapter 50, verse 24 and 25. Let's read that together. And Joseph said to his brothers, he's about to die, and he says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made his sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 22 speaks of this as well. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. So Joseph knew that one day this great nation was going to have a place to call their own. And that's important because God is a promise-keeping God, isn't he? And we see that taking place here. Verse 3 of chapter 14, this route and the, the location of the Israelites, where they're positioned, on this long, hard road, they positioned themselves with their backs against the, the Red Sea. And it seemed to have enticed Pharaoh. God had hardened his heart. And that was the goal of the Lord, is to have Pharaoh pursue the Israelites. From a tactical standpoint, they were sitting ducks that set themselves up for defeat. And so this provoked Pharaoh to change his mind. He was very fickle, wasn't he? You see Pharaoh changed his mind a bunch. 
and he changed his mind and he pursues the the Israelites. He says, what are we doing? We just we just let our labor force leave us. And not only that, but they robbed us blind. They took all our treasure. In verse 4, it tells us the second reason. So the first reason that God wanted them to go the long, hard road was because he knew that they couldn't handle the battles and, and facing fierce enemies. And, and verse 4 tells us that God is not finished revealing himself to Pharaoh. He's not finished revealing himself to Egypt and to the Israelites. Look at verse 4 of chapter 14. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall what? shall know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So this is the second reason. God wasn't finished showing himself to the world, showing himself to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to the Israelites. And as their backs are against the Red Sea, they see the Egyptians coming, and they're very fearful. But look at verse 13 of chapter 14. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God's going to deliver you. Trust the Lord. He's got this. What, what, what happened here in verse 19 through 20, God prevented the uh, Egyptians from coming, right? The, the, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. They protected them. And what did he do? He opened up the... Red Sea and the Israelites walked through on dry ground and they did so with that barrier between them and the Egyptians. God was protecting them by his own presence. Look at the summary of this event, chapter 14, verse 28 through 31. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. So as they pursued the Israelites, which was God's will, what did God do? But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters began being a wall on their left, on the right hand and their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people, what did they do? They feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. So this was God's plan, wasn't it? To take them the long, hard road, and they're going to be fearful, and they're going to have adversity and have difficulty. Isn't that funny how sometimes people say, well, if the Lord's with you, you're not going to have any problems. And some people teach that, actually. Isn't that, isn't that so terribly wrong? In fact, John 16, Jesus says, in this world you have trouble, you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We're Christians. Those of us who've repented and trusted Christ, we, we're the people of God. We follow him. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, but boy, sometimes it's difficult. It's a joy-filled journey, isn't it? Some of you have been believers. Some of you are a long time. Some of you are new believers, but man, it is so wonderful to walk with the Lord and to see what the Lord does and how the Lord is faithful to us and good to us. It's good how when, we, when, we, when we prone, we're so prone to wonder, when we wander away, the Lord disciplines us and brings us back like a loving father. It's wonderful to, be a, to, to have this wonderful relationship with the creator of the universe. But it's difficult. 
It's joy-filled and it's wonderful, but it's hard. God was with his people, but yet they faced difficulty. And in the Old Testament, God, he led his people through prophets as he's speaking through Moses, leading the people, also through these theophanies, which are these physical manifestations of the presence of God, this pillar of cloud, this pillar of fire. Sometimes we wish we had those today, don't we? Got a job opportunity. Dead gumman, I wish I wouldn't even, wish you wouldn't even have the opportunity. I wish the chance didn't even come up because now I got inside. Some of us are so terrible at that, aren't we, making decisions. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Right? Sometimes we wish we had a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. The Lord would lead us that way. I've heard of a man who was trying to decide if he should move in with his girlfriend or not. He was seeking God. Believe that? It's true. On the way to work, one day he saw a sign. It was a billboard sign, and it had this girlfriend's name on it. Hallelujah, the Lord has spoken. He knew right then that God wanted him to cohabitate with this woman who's not his bride. Now, we know that's not God leading them. How do we know that? How do we know? Yeah, Ephesians 6, 3. There shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality in your life, right? But sexual immorality or all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is improper among believers. John, he had rental property and he had an older lady that had been renting for him for years and years and years and she was, getting, she was having some trouble, maybe some dementia issues and she would forget things and she had paid him twice for the same month paid the same month's rent two different times. And so he said, after praying about it, he had peace in his heart about keeping that money and not telling her. He just assumed that God knew what he was doing and this was God's way of blessing him because of that peace in his heart. How do we know that God's not leading John? Yeah, because his word tells us, right? Proverbs 6, uh, 12, 22 Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. And Proverbs 10, 19, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his way crooked will be found out. And John was making his way crooked, wasn't he? Yeah. I should have, I'm looking at John. I should have used another name, John, sorry. That not, that's not this John. <laughs> we see God leading his people the Israelites out of Egypt. In the Old Testament, he led it through prophets and theophanies. And we ask, well, what about us? And this is our second point. Again, this is more of, of an application point. In the New Covenant era, which we live after Christ's death, burial, resurrection, ascension, right? We're in the New Covenant era. God leads us through Jesus as his spirit reminds us of his word. How does God lead us? Through signs in the sky? Peace that we have in our heart? You know, our heart is deceitful above all things. We don't trust our heart. What do we trust? The scriptures. Church family, we, we trust the scriptures and scriptures alone. I know I'm 
like I said, open up a can of worms, small group leaders. You'll have a lot of questions this week. I'm, I'm hoping this is going to whet your appetite because this fall in our open Bible study, we're going we're to study this and understand how God leads us more specifically. Just kind of introducing this today. So how does God lead us now through, through Jesus as we study and learn his word? John chapter 10, verse 37. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So a lot of times people say, well, we just need to learn to hear God's voice. That gentle whisper, that sweet little tender voice the Lord uses. But if you study this chapter in context, this is referring to the effectual call, the salvific call that God places not on just the Jews, but also the Gentile. That's the context here. So does God speak to us in a still small voice? I'll say no. Does he speak to us today in an audible voice? I'll say no. Hebrews chapter 1. It gets real quiet. Everybody's kind of focused in, right? Some people are like, where's he going with this? Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? Yeah. Speaking through Moses and all the writing prophets and Elijah and Elisha. But in these last days, last days meaning we're in the new covenant era since Jesus has ascended. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's spoken to us now by his son. So when you think you've heard from the Lord, you might ask this question, have I really heard the word of God and the person, the teaching, and the work of the Son? Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. Y'all are doing great back there. I'm wearing you out today. Amy, thank y'all, Christian. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing, and Paul is writing this. He's writing a letter on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing this to the the people in, in Corinth, the believers in Corinth, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord, command of Jesus. Paul's talking about the letter he's writing. When the, the Holy Spirit guided the New Testament writers, he is taking the heart and the mind of Christ, rendering them in Scripture as the words of Jesus. John 16, 15. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. And who's he writing to? He's not writing to us. I mean, who's he speaking to? The apostles, those who are going to be inspired and write the, the scriptures. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Jude, the author of the letter to the Hebrews. They're writing down the words of Christ. How does God speak to us? Through Christ, as the Holy Spirit reminds us of his word, his unchanging truth found in Scripture. Romans chapter 12, familiar passage Verse 1 and 2, Paul writing to the, the Roman believers, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. So your mind should be changed, right? That the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're, we're to have our minds transformed. How? By the word of God so we can understand the will of God. What's the will of God? His word, Jesus' word found in the scriptures. We don't have a cloud to guide us today, church. Instead, we believers, focus on believers, right? Non-believers don't have this help, but we believers have the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth, which are the scriptures. I've seen crinkled brows. We'll revisit this escape through the Red Sea in chapter 14 next week. We kind of brushed over that, but we'll come back next week and continue on verse by verse. But we'll also continue this study, like I said, in the fall in our open Bible study of how God leads us. But let me ask you this question. God leads his people. We know that. He led the Hebrews, and now he leads the church. Is he leading you? Is he leading you? Is he leading you through Christ? Does he lead you by the Holy Spirit, bringing you back to his word, bringing his word to your remembrance? That's how we know God's will. Is he leading you? If you've never repented of your sin, if you've never trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own, if you've never trusted Christ's resurrection, believing he did that for you, God is not leading you. If you've never repented, if you've never trusted Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. God's a loving God. Every good and perfect gift we have comes from him. He's so loving and gracious and merciful. He, don't, he doesn't give us what we deserve. And what do we deserve? We deserve hell. Everything above hell is a, a privilege. And because of our sin, we're separated from the Lord, which means we don't know God. We can't communicate with God. We don't know him. And when we breathe our last, which could be tonight, tomorrow, the next day, we'll be separated from the Lord for all eternity. You say, Pastor, you're trying to scare me. Hope so. If you need to be scared. God's a loving God, but he's also a just God. He must punish sinners. We're all sinners. We're all on a one-way road to hell, and that's what we deserve. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus, God, took on flesh. This, this exodus experience the Israelites had took place about 1400 B.C. 1400 years after this event, Jesus took on flesh and he became a man and he obeyed the Lord, the Father, in every way. All the commands that we read in Scripture, Jesus obeyed and did fully and completely. That's the record we have to have in order to have a relationship with God. And none of us have it. 
And we need, we need a divine exchange to take place. We need to repent and turn from our sin, recognizing that on the cross, Jesus received our wrath that we deserve. And as we repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as our own, his resurrection as our own, what happens? There's a divine exchange, and he gives us his righteousness, which we all must have in order to have a relationship with God the Father. And for those of us who repent and trust Christ, he gives us the Holy Spirit, and then he starts to lead us by the Holy Spirit through Jesus pointing us to the Scripture, the Word of Christ. Is he leading you? If he's not leading you today, you need to repent. And I want to encourage you to do that. Tell the Lord, Lord, I'm, I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I've done wrong. I've rebelled against you my whole life. And I need to turn and change my life. I want you to change my life. I want to obey you from this point on. I recognize and believe that Jesus died for me. The wrath he bore, he bore for me. And the life now that I want to live, I want to live for him. You need to tell the Lord something like that. If you had a question about that, I'd love to talk to you about that. God rescued his people, the Israelites. It was a great work of God. We have the Passover, which God told them to take that, that lamb, that Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, take it, slaughter it, put the blood over the door post as God came through Egypt he saw the blood and he passed over that house passing over them it was a great act of mercy the Red Sea their backs against the wall what do we see again God rescuing them delivering them from, from not from his wrath but from the Egyptians again an act of mercy but an even greater act of mercy a greater act of redemption occurred when Christ took on flesh, walked this earth, and bore our sin. We're about to take communion. You have your communion cup with you. I want you to ask you to take that and get that ready. You can peel off the top layer. Blake led us in a time of confession. and If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter... 11. Paul, he's reiterating what the Lord had taught him about what happened on that Passover meal, the last Passover Jesus took with his disciples. And in chapter 11, Paul rebukes the Corinthian believers because they weren't taking the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner. He says, first, you must examine yourself. What does that mean? Well, you ask the Lord like we do on Sunday morning. Lord, show me my sin. And when we, we acknowledge and recognize our sin, what do we do? We turn from it and we repent. And so that's what we've spent time doing. Hopefully you've done that. In, ju in just a moment, we're going to read some scripture. And we're going to take this bread together. And then I'm going to read some more scripture and then we'll drink the juice together. See, John the Baptist, he was preaching a, a message of repentance and he was baptizing people and telling them to repent and he's preparing the way for Christ. 
John chapter 1, he says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He looked at He's pointing his disciples and all of those people he were teaching. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. That's when he was baptizing Jesus. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. As we repent and believe, we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. He gives us his Spirit. Verse 34, And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Passover Lamb of God. Passover 1400 B.C. 2,000 years later, Jesus. See, that, that, the Passover and this annual feast that they were to, to take, this celebration they're to, they're to celebrate every year on the anniversary of the Passover, all they're doing is reminding them and pointing them to, to the, the ultimate Passover Lamb, Jesus. Jesus has the Passover meal with his disciples in the upper room. He says, I'm starting something new. We're going to drink the cup and we're going to eat the bread. And the bread represents my body. The body that's about to be broken for you. See, this is the night before he was betrayed. Here pretty quick, he's going to be on a cross bearing the wrath for sinners. And we're going to drink the cup. And the cup is, points to his blood. In the old covenant, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. They had to bring that lamb time and time and time and time again to the altar, to the, to the temple. The high priest would slaughter it. Blood would be spilled. But when Jesus came, he's the once for all sacrifice. The Passover lamb. Jesus died for sinners. And if you trusted in him, that means Jesus died for you. Are you ready to take it? We don't want to take it in an unworthy manner. We take it in an unworthy manner, that's bad news. Some in the Corinthian church were sick and had died because what we're doing today, they did it wrongly. They didn't do it reverently. You say, well, who can take the Lord's Supper? If you grab one of these and you, you hadn't repented of your sin, you haven't trusted Christ, don't take it. This is a family meal. Some of you, you're fixing to, I'm looking around, I'm seeing some of you, you're about to have a family meal together after church today. Well, today, this is a family meal, and it's only for believers and only for family members. God's family. So if you're a believer and you've been baptized and you've made that profession of faith, we want to encourage you to take the Lord's Supper with us. If you haven't, then you can just listen and learn. We're about to take the supper. Jesus says, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray and we're going to eat this bread. And this bread is symbolic of Jesus' body that was broken for sinners. Father, we're thankful for Jesus and what he's done for us. We're thankful for the life he lived. 
We're thankful that he lived righteously so that we could have his righteousness. We're thankful that he willingly gave up his life and his body was broken and put on a cross so that we could be forgiven. Jesus has been a, a sweet, precious gift to your church and we're thankful for him. And we remember today his body being broken in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's eat the bread, remembering Christ's body broken for us. Let's do it together. Prepare this cup. Representing the blood of Christ. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Yeah, what a precious, wonderful blood it was. And he is. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father, we also thank you for the blood of Jesus. Think back of the Passover lamb and how that blood covered that home and protected that family from you. And God, sinners, we need to be protected from you because you are a loving God, but you're also a wrathful, jealous God. And we've been so disobedient and so rebellious. But Father, for us, your church, we're so thankful that your blood covers us. And because of what Jesus has done, we can approach you boldly, boldly, without shame. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, we will never be more righteous in Jesus. We'll never be more righteous in Jesus. So we're so thankful for his blood shed for us. And Lord, we take it remembering Christ. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's drink this together. Remember the blood of Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to our Sunday morning services at Beaver Baptist Church. We are currently studying the book of Exodus. If you have any questions about today's message, or would like more information about our church, call us at 901-837-2904. You can also visit our website at beaverbaptist.com.